Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. You can turn there. I'll get there eventually. We're going to talk this morning about from power to presence. We started out on Resurrection Sunday talking about how much proof do you need. And if you weren't here, we, the, the whole topic of that, that the message was the fact that Jesus had appeared to over 500 people during the 40 days that he was here on earth. It says he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And we went through and talked about the fact that that was one of Jesus' purpose was that he's alive. He's not dead. Emily, thank you for that communion, this meditation. That was very, very powerful. Uh, even with your personal illustration, gave us a, a new perspective of what happens when somebody comes back to life after being dead. How the body responds. So, um, yeah, I, that, how much proof do you need? And then last week, we didn't wait till Pentecost. We talked about the power. And that is moving from proof to power. And uh, the fact is that God told his church, his young believers, don't leave the city. Don't start ministry until you've been empowered from on high. And they actually waited. They listened to him, believe it or not. And uh, they, they waited to, to receive the power. But today, we're going to talk about from power to presence. And I was uh, preparing for this message. I found this comparison between power and presence. What does it mean to have the power of God? What does it mean to have the presence of God? And oftentimes what happens in the church or maybe in a, in a setting like this or in our particular understanding of the word, the way God teaches, is that, that uh, sometimes we take the power and make it uh, a distinction from the presence. And really what I'm beginning to understand is that the power of God is the power of God, but the presence of God is in his people. And when his people go forth and do the word of God, then the power of God is manifested, but the presence of God is in his people. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at today. But I want to make this comparison here. I think we have some, some slides that uh, reflect or, or mirror what I'm, what I'm going to share mostly. But here we go. Uh, from the power of the Holy Spirit is what he does. The presence of the Holy Spirit is who he is or himself. God's message is endorsed by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's people is endorsed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? The power of the Holy Spirit can change your circumstances. The presence of the Holy Spirit can change your heart. That's good. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The presence of the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The power is for service. The presence is for salvation. The power enables you to do. The presence enables you to become. Here's the presence. Here's the scripture. You, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Here's about the power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power stirs you. The presence stills you. The power activates gifts. The presence produces fruit. The power inspires praise. The presence inspires worship. Just a little bit of comparison between power and presence so that we understand where we are going. Well, let's jump in today. I want to read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. This is after preacher, uh, Peter is preaching at Pentecost, and this is their response 
Verse 41, those who accepted this message and were baptized, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe of many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we have what a description of the people of his presence. God's presence filling up this city called Jerusalem. Now, as I was looking into kind of some research of how many people actually lived in Jerusalem during this time, it was kind of tough to nail it down. Uh, they, they ranged anywhere from 20,000 people living in the city to perhaps 100,000 people living in the city. So anywhere in between. But, uh, I, I mean, so it's really hard to tell how many people actually lived in the city. But this day on Pentecost, which which kind of was the end of a week-long celebration, was actually a first fruits celebration. That's what Pentecost is, the beginning of harvest. They were celebrating first fruits. Is that they would have this, this festival where they would just get together and praise God, bring a gift. We talk about first fruits here at Crossroads. Bring a gift with the expectation of they bring this gift then the Lord would bless what was to come in their harvest. And people would attend this from all over the place. In fact, if you look earlier in the book of Acts, you'll find that people showed up for this uh, celebration. They showed up from 16 different nations together. And so we have the, the inhabitants of the city. We could say, we'll say 50,000. And people showed up from 16 different nations for this first fruit celebration. And as a result of that, you may have 100 or 150,000 people suddenly filling this city. And as a result of that, you, many of you know that the, the uh, 120, the Holy Spirit came during this festival. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. And the people that were from the outlying areas came in. They said, what is this miracle? Suddenly we hear them speaking in our own language. How is this possible? I mean, these guys are just from, uh, they're Galileans. They're people from the backwoods, the country, so to speak. How did they learn this language so quick that I hear it in my own tongue? And obviously, it was a, it was a miraculous uh, uh, intervention of the Lord to come that day. Obviously, it was planned by him in order for these people to hear all these different languages being spoken by these 120 of the disciples. Kind of like Winchester on Apple Blossom. Now you're listening online. If you're not from, from Winchester, I mean, Winchester kind of becomes a different city during Apple Blossom. It's uh, many people. There's like 28,000, I think, in the city proper, and then another 92,000 in the county. You combine that together, you get 120,000 people here in our city and county. And then we have Apple Blossom. And uh, people show up from all over the region just to come in, mostly concentrated on this weekend, and then they leave. I don't know how many people remember Fishnet 
way back in the 70s and 80s. Oh my goodness, uh, that small town of Front Royal, even a smaller town, Cedarville, right outside of that, was inundated with thousands and thousands of crazy Christians, you know, coming to worship Jesus. Now, the unfortunate thing I hear from the people of Front Royal wasn't necessarily a good experience. Or maybe the people are okay, it just disrupted their routines, right? Because of all the people that came in. Well, that's really a description of what we have happening here in the day of Pentecost. You have people coming from all kinds of, of different, different areas and regions to celebrate that. And that's when the Lord came. He released his power, which started then a growth of his presence. So let's kind of look at, at some numbers here, here real briefly and see how the presence of God grew through the people of God. First of all, we have 3,000 coming to the Lord. I read that from 16 different regions. And then later on in verse 47, the last verse I read, is you said that they were added daily, those who were being saved. So not just one sermon produced 3,000. It says people were coming to Christ daily. So now we're up to 3,120. Moving on, the next thing that happens in Acts chapter 4, 4, it says those who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So now we have, they just counted the men. There were so many people coming to Christ, following Jesus, that now they're just counting the men. And so we're up to uh, 5,000. We've added another 2,000. We're into 5,000 range, which probably way more than that because people are coming to Christ daily. And then in Acts 5.14, it said more and more added. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed and the Lord added to their number. So now we have daily, we have thousands, we have more and more that is being added. And so this whole city is just being inundated with with uh, uh, people that believe that Jesus is alive. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And so the city is being baptized, so to speak, in more and more believers. And then finally, we get to uh, Acts 4, 16 and 17. The whole city is impacted. It says, what are we doing with these men? They ask, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a noble sign and we cannot deny it. Everybody in the city. Christianity was, was no longer a secret that was, you know, a couple of guys and ladies in an upper room someplace. Now it has spilled over into the streets, then the synagogues, it's in the workplaces. Everybody knows that this Jesus is alive. What an amazing place to be to realize the spread of Christianity in such a short time, over a few weeks or over a few months, that this was happening. Wouldn't it be amazing to be in a city like that? They do exist in the earth today. Maybe not in your city or maybe not in this city, but they do exist in places today where up to, say, 90% of the people are Christians that are in the place. And it's, there's a place in Nicaragua where it's been that way for 25 years. That the, the, they've just, all the people are Christians in, in the city in which they live. And God is doing amazing things through their testimony. So it is possible for that to happen. And it has happened in the world in which we live even today. Number two, the believer's presence was felt in four ways. So as they understood that Jesus was their Messiah and their Savior, it was understood in four ways. In fact, we could call this characteristics of the presence of God. 
are characteristics of people that are filled with the power of God. This is what they display, or this is what other people see them as. First of all, they were devoted people. They were devoted people. It says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If you've ever waded into the, the Greek statement of that, it says they continually, steadfastly. We read the word devoted, but actually it says they continually were devoted, or they were steadfastly devoted. In other words, it wasn't just a day or a weekend. It was an everyday occurrence that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, I don't consider that being in order. In other words, you pray last. In fact, I would say pray first. So it's really a listing of what they did. It's not really an order of how they did life or what they were devoted to. They were devoted to all four at the same time, simultaneously. Some days they were listening to the apostles teach. Other days they might be in home breaking bread together. Other days they were enjoying fellowship. A third, maybe they joined an all-night prayer meeting. In other words, this was happened simultaneously. It wasn't a checklist. Okay, apostles teaching. Okay, next we got to join a fellowship. Oh, next we got to learn how to do communion. And finally, teach us to pray. It wasn't that way. It was all mixed in together. That's what the people of presence do. So what exactly was the apostles teaching? Well, the apostles essentially, they had been with Jesus and they'd heard the Old Testament in a sense, translated into an understanding of the Messiah coming, dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And all the understandings that Jesus gave or God gave hints through the Old Testament, the apostles' teaching was really taking the scripture that they had and reinterpreting it with the Holy Spirit, saying this is what you thought it meant, but this is what it really means that Jesus has died and rose from the dead. This is what you understood it to mean, but now this is what it really means. And so they were taking this kind of re remaking, in a sense, the scripture, not, not really making it right. They had a limited view before, and now they're bringing the fuller definition to it. I believe the, apostle, the apostles' teaching was, could be categorized in three different categories. Number one, they taught essentials. In other words, essentials in a sense of uh, it's not, not something you can compromise. It's a non-negotiable, so to speak. I hope you have those in your life. I have a few in my life. It's non-negotiable. Right. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's the way God said it's going to be, and, and therefore it is. Like, for instance, uh, who decides how long you have life on this earth? Do you decide that? No, I don't think so. Last time I checked, it's a non-negotiable. I mean, we've got some amazing things we can do, but the fact is it's a non-negotiable. Who decided that you were born in this day and time? Who decided that? That's a non-negotiable. God did. Who decided if you're male or female? It's non-negotiable, all right? Okay, yeah, that's right. I didn't decide that. God did, and I accept it. It's an essential that I believe. And then we get into doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is actually teaching. That, that we begin to unfold the essentials that we have into day-to-day -day life. Even to the place where something isn't clear in Scripture, then the apostles taught them how to hear the voice of God, how to hear the Holy Spirit. So to actually go to, to understand uh, situations that maybe the, the, the Scripture wasn't, wasn't explicit or, or not clear about, 
But they learned how to hear the voice of God, and so the apostles taught that. And then they also taught experiences that they had. A man, they walked with Jesus, and they saw things that the crowd didn't see. The crowd saw some things, but they saw they had understanding in ways that the crowd didn't understand. And so the apostles began to unfold these teachings to the people, and they would come and glean from them. And so I really believe the apostles' teaching was in three categories. The essentials, the, 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 the doctrine or teaching, uh, things that they had to replace, perhaps. They had some doctrine of man rather than doctrine of God. And then experiences that they had that, that they were able to share. And, and we oftentimes do the same thing when we, we teach the Bible. We teach about certain things that we can't compromise, non-negotiables. We have things that we're learning as we're journeying through life. And then we also have experiences that we share. They also were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to, whether it be a, a house church, whether it be a church like this, whether it be a mega church, they were devoted to fellowship. They were, they were devoted to the fact that they needed one another. They weren't islands to themselves. They didn't just, you know, stay alone and watch their TVs. I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, you know, praise God you can see us on TV this morning. But I'm saying, you know, there were time of fellowship, whether you, whether you watch something on TV or through the internet like like today, but there was also time of fellowship. In other words, that was not the only time of you being filled up with, with God teaching. There was talking together. Wanda and I find that, that lots of times when we're working through an issue, not necessarily in our relationship, sometimes it's theological, that we get our best revelation while we're talking about it. We're walking and talking and she's sharing something, and I said, but consider this. And she goes, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. And then she said, I said, wow, I never thought about that. And so we actually learn when we're talking about it, and that's what fellowship is. Amen. And then having communion together or, or breaking bread together, again, they were devoted to that. That was a part of, of what they did, people of presence. And then prayer, obviously, uh, prayer is, is uh, vitally important. We had some amazing, amazing prayer this week that uh, I'm going to be sharing a couple of uh, portions about that. So they were devoted. People of presence are people that are devoted. The next thing that I believe that the people of his presence are is they were dazzled. <laughs> I love that word, dazzled. I had to really, really work to get that word. But where does it, where is it based out of? It's based out of, of Acts chapter 2 verses 43 everyone filled with was everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles they were dazzled people they were like wow did you hear about that wow did you see that i never would have thought that was possible but god stepped in and rescued them and changed that circumstance they were wow they were dazzled because they were in God's presence. Someone came to me uh, in between services and uh, shared about he and another friend, uh, Larry and Marty. They went and prayed with this guy. I don't know if they knew him before or not, but he was scheduled to die this week. They prayed for him. And at the end of the prayer, Larry said, he, the guy stood up. He hadn't been able to stand before. And they, they're like, this guy's going to die. And now all of a sudden he's getting life. It's because they prayed. In fact, Larry's leaving right after this to go pray for him again. Yeah, that's God. See, we need those stories today. Uh, some of us were on a, on a prayer walk uh, before the Apple Blossom Parade. We started this numbers years ago, Pray Winchester, that pr just meets on Friday mornings from 8 to 9 to pray for our city. Every 
every apple blossom now, we walk the parade route and we pray. And so half a dozen more of us were out and we were praying. And um, my, my buddy Denny and I, he was, he was here first service. We were praying, having a great time. We, we go across an intersection and we stop to wait for this. Uh, it was an SUV, guy in an SUV that he pulled up to stop. So we were being courteous and stopping. We're praying. And all of a sudden he rolls down the window. I've never seen him before in my life. And he starts engaging conversations with these two guys that he's never seen before. He said, hey, you all look happy. There's a glow on your face. Seriously, he said that. There's something glowing about you. I think I, I, that, I, I've, re, I've reasoned that away. It's probably because I was wearing my wife's sunglasses. <laughs> no, seriously. He said, there's a glow. And so I engaged. I told him what we were doing. I went around. And he said, oh, wow, that's awesome that you're out praying. That's great. And he began to talk about a physical condition that he had. And I prayed for him to be healed right there in the car. You see, what was that? That was a sign that God was hearing our prayers that we were out walking. Because he wouldn't have done that. That guy wouldn't have had to stop. He wouldn't have had to roll down the window. He wouldn't have had to engage in conversation. But I know that was God saying that I am hearing your prayers out on this prayer walk. And I'm going to do what you are saying. Some years ago, I was running the same, same route, praying. And I happened to be praying about hospitality. I said, God, let Winchester be a good, a good city where we understand hospitality. And as soon as I finished that prayer, a, uh, a taxi rolled up right beside of me, rolled down the window and said, would you like a ride anywhere in the city free? <laughs> it's a sign. They, it, we don't have to, I mean, sometimes we, we take things that are, that are just, you know, way wild and anything that's normal, so to speak, or out of the normal, we, uh, we dismiss it. No, that was a sign. Both of those are a sign. The guy talking to me, the guy offering hospitality, exactly finished, put a period at the end of my sentence, hospitality, would you like a, like a ride free? That's God. That's God. He wants to do that with people of his presence. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I like being a people of his presence. So they were dazzled people. They, they understood that God was doing signs and wonders and miracles. I hope you get a chance to go to Love Revival tonight. Nick's going to share about it at the end. But they're showing a documentary about the scientific, um, basically, research of miracles that have happened. And a lot, we live in a society that questions a lot of things. It's just who we are in the West and I began to ponder this thing. Why don't we see more miracles and signs and wonders in the church today? Why, why is that not happening? I came up with uh, five things. I don't know if you agree with me or not, or maybe you'll have some of your own. But the first thing is, first of all, it's not emphasized in the church. In fact, not only is it not emphasized, sometimes it's shunned. Of people saying that we, we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that in our church because we're afraid that non-believers will think we're weird. Wait a minute. If people are really desperate and somebody says there's hope and help there, I would want to go, wouldn't you? So maybe, maybe just the opposite would happen if we'd see more signs and wonders and miracles among God's people, maybe unbelievers would come flocking rather than questioning. Just a thought. Just a thought. Another thought I had is why that they're not happening anymore or not as much is that uh, it requires leadership 
to be spiritually in tune and to lead a people like that. It's not a job. It's being in tune with God. In fact, uh, some, some uh, months ago, I felt like the prophetic kind of waned in Sunday morning. And, I, and I, I wrote the elder team, and I said, why is this happening? We had a discussion. I was like, this is not, this is not great. I, what's going on? Somebody sinned or what? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> they looked at me. <laughs> no, I was concerned. That it, takes, it takes pastoral leadership to be able to lead people uh, to be people of faith and people of his presence. And if you don't have a, somebody in, that is, understands that, is willing to do that, it also takes an emotional toll. Because you get into areas where, where people, sometimes they get excited, they don't know what to do, they do things, maybe they're out of character, and you got to walk with those people to kind of, you know, do the dance in order to say, not control, but, but walk with them and say, hey, you know, maybe we got to out of bounds here a little bit. And that takes emotional work to do that. Again, I'm talking about why we don't see more signs and wonders in our midst and the other thing, last thing is, <clears throat> I think Hollywood has done an incredible job in their sentimentology to be able to take things that really uh, could be miracles in one sense. God could do it, and they, they're able to film it in such a way that we begin to question when the authentic happens. Okay? Because we've seen that, and they do it really well. And sometimes when I see what they've done, I begin to think, that's a fake. But Jesus is real. But a lot of people that don't know that Jesus is real doing signs and wonders today think we're a fake. And that's real. So we got some work to do. But we can do it because Jesus is with us. I remember my friend, uh, Pastor Darrell, in fact, some from his congregation here this morning, he shared in a in an elders meeting with the Dove churches that he was uh, in worship Sunday morning and all of a sudden he just got a phrase on one of the songs that they sang and it's just like something on that phrase. It was just like God saying, there's something there about this. So he got up and he looked across the crowd and he saw one man that was new there, first time in, this man, and he just said, you know what? This word is for you, sir. And he just said it over him. What happened is he spoke that word. That guy got healed that morning from his back issue. What he didn't know, found out after the service, is the guy was scheduled for surgery on Thursday, and it got canceled, and the guy was mad. <laughs> and his wife drug him to church that Sunday, and the Lord healed him. Hallelujah. Man, God can heal mad people. I like it. People of his presence. Here's the third characteristic, and that's they're daring people. They're daring people. They're not only devoted people or dazzled people, but they are daring people. It says in verse 45, they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's pretty daring, isn't it? It's pretty daring to have a need that is spoken and you sell your car or sell your, uh, you know, appliances or sell your property or you sell something and say, I want to give. I want to be generous. 
There were daring people. Daring that if they gave, maybe even sacrificially, that God would replenish, maybe even double what they gave away. Very daring people. Are you a daring person? That's what people of his presence are. We're daring people. We, we choose to believe God that whatever the situation, that God can intervene and fix it. What, however bad the relationship is, God can still change a heart in that, that person. God can still, whatever the diagnosis is, that God can still move and change it around. He's got the ability to do it. Do you think that way? That's the question. Sometimes we live more by the diagnosis than we live by faith. Ooh, yeah. The scripture says you live not by the diagnosis. And the, and the righteous will live by the diagnosis. Where's that in scripture? But yet, oftentimes, that's how we live. We hear, hear certain words, and we automatically say death. Jesus doesn't say death. Jesus says, I'm going to show up in that. When people of presence are near and pray and believe. You know, I, this was early on in the pandemic. People said, would Jesus wear a mask? I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? What is, what, is, what is being said by that? Number one, he doesn't have authority over the disease. So you're, you're, where's your faith in that? If he would wear a mask, that means he doesn't have authority over disease. And second of all, all he would do it to, to uh, uh, be able to, uh, what am I looking for? Uh, be able to be kind to others around him. Well, I don't see anywhere in the scripture that he went to please men. Okay? Now, I know that we're in, sometimes in, in, in your job and in, you know, they're, they're, I understand that. I got on an airplane and I wanted to fly versus drive, so I put on a mask, okay? I could have driven to where I needed to go, but I wanted to fly, so I cooperated there. But the question is, what are we thinking in our mind? Not necessarily what we cooperate at times, but what are we thinking in our mind? Are we a daring people? People of his presence are daring. Are you daring? Gideon didn't think he was very daring. He was hiding away from the enemy. And God looked at him and said, you valiant warrior. What? Me? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And took him out from 10,000 down to 300, man. Tell you what. Shoo. But Gideon was all fired up. He was a daring person when he understood that God was a part of his life. He was a, he's a person of of God's presence and we need to be a people of his presence as well so God was a, a, a we, they are daring people the last characteristics of a people of his presence is they're delighted people they're delighted they're delightful to be around are you a delightful person to be around are you a pessimist are you an Eeyore no, I'm not looking for energizer bunnies either. I'm looking for people that are authentic and delighted to know that Jesus is alive. He lives in me. He can live in you. He can take any situation that you have and turn it around if you would believe and have faith. That's what I believe. Delighted people. And when you understand that and live that way, you're a delight to be around. But if you take on the other stuff, you're not fun to be around. I don't, I don't like being around pessimistic people. I either correct it or walk away. Say I'm not really interested in filling me up in that way. And so God looks for people that are delighted. I was in college 
my undergrad, and there was a group of students that were going through a manufacturing plant in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. There was about four or five of us in this little tour group, and the gal leading the group, all of a sudden she turned and looked at me and she said, you don't smile very much, do you? I'm like, what is that? Here I am, not known her from Adam or Eve, I should say Eve, I guess. And all of a sudden she turns at me, total stranger, said, you don't smile very much, do you? But the Holy Spirit spoke to me through what she said. And the Holy Spirit said, you know you have the greatest person living inside your life. Why don't you smile more? Never forgot that. Never forgot that. Yeah. So God has silly ways of teaching us lessons sometimes, but that's the way it works. Number three, how is his presence felt in our communities? How is his presence felt in our communities? The community in which we live, the community in which we live, you live. Is Christianity felt more as a religion or as a relationship? Is it felt more as people being judged or people being invited? Seeing possibilities. Sobering moment to think about, but I think it's important for us to evaluate at this level, just like in communion this morning to evaluate at that level. How's Christianity seen in our town, your town? Is it something people want to be a part of? Or do they see those people that say they're followers of Christ be the same as the world on Monday through Friday? That's a problem with me. Really a big problem with me. When I hear people tell me, I will never work with a Christian contractor again. That's a problem with me. When we redid this church, we had a lot of subs come through and they did things for us. And one of the things I purpose to do is pay them on time and exactly what they ask for. And that in itself was a huge witness for those that came. They said we'd never been connected to a church that did that for us before. They always, they always bargained with us. They always thought, oh, you know, you want a discount. I'm like, no. You got a job too. If you want to give me a discount, that's up to you, but I'm not asking for one. See, we need to be people of his presence. Filled with his power. That's what the world is looking for today. It's looking for, for people that are devoted to the Lord. Are you devoted? Are you partially devoted? Are you not devoted at all? Just showing up. They were people that were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. There were also people that were dazzled. <laughs> They, they recognized signs and wonders happened today just like they did then. God didn't shut off the spigot after the first century. Still happening today. We heard testimony of a couple here this morning. He's still doing it today. Have you stopped believing that he could do it for you or through you? This is not a platform deal. This is a God's people deal. 
Can you believe that you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover? That's who God's looking for. That's what he birthed in the church. He's not looking for the priests to lay hands on the sick and recover. He's looking for the people to lay hands on the sick and recover. Have you stopped believing you can? How about a daring person? Have you stopped being daring? Maybe because of the pressure of the world that has been put on you. And you just kind of shrank back until you're in your closet. You say, wait a minute. I need to, I know that has different connotations. I understand that. <laughs> but work with me here. You've been backed in not being a daring person. And all of a sudden, you know what? I need to come out. I need to come into the room. I need to get out of the house. I need to do a prayer walk. See somebody that's sick, pray over them. Doesn't take, doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't. And God's ready to move. He's ready to move. And are you a delighted person? Do you take on the gloom and doom of the world or maybe a situation you're encountering right now? Or do you say, no, you know what? I, I'm, I'm facing a tough circum situation right now, circumstance, but my God is able. He is going to bring me out. He's going to bring me through. And even in the process, he's going to give me the grace to endure. That's the God I serve. It's not one or the other, it's both. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to rebirth what it means to be a people of presence. Because you not just want us to have the power, you want us to be a people of presence. And that was so exhibited in the city of Jerusalem when when you filled that city that they, they couldn't contain. They couldn't contain the miracles. They couldn't contain the goodness. They couldn't contain the life change. It was so radically, radically different in that town after Holy Spirit came and empowered his people. And God, we want it again today. We want it in our city, Lord. God, come. And Lord, sometimes we pray that prayer and we think that it's going to happen through somebody else, through some other ministry, through some outside evangelist coming in and God just cries out today, said, no, it happens through my people. My people. Receiving and knowing and exercising my presence through my power. Simple as that, Lord. Father, thank you that you remind us today that it's not complicated. But it must be sincere. It must be something we own and not do it because somebody told us to. It must be something, someone that we're connected with and not just a checklist on the page. I want to ask you a couple of questions related to the outline and that is this is there something in your life that you realize you've stopped being devoted to that's related to the Lord maybe you let other things creep in you say I need to get back into being devoted to the Lord just frame that to a question to him this morning Lord where have I stopped being devoted let him speak
have I stopped being devoted? And then do what he says. Let's ask another question. Lord, have I stopped believing in miracles, signs and wonders? Have I stopped believing? Have I stopped believing that you could do them again today in our day? Maybe because of an excess or a bad experience or maybe a failure. But unbelief has crept in. Just repent. Just say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. He wants to do more through you. Have you disqualified yourself as a vessel that he can work through? You're qualified because of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. Ask yourself another question. Where have I stopped being daring? Maybe there's certain things that you used to practice and you stopped because you got, I don't know, shot down. Not literally, but maybe you're in a church setting that you wanted to step out and you got shot down. Again, not literally. But you stopped being daring. Ask the Lord to empower you again to be a daring person, living by faith. Finally, ask the Lord, am I a delight to be around? Does the Lord like being around you? If the Lord likes being around you, other people like being around you. Father, we're supposed to be a delighted people because of what you've done. It's not a face we put on in this morning, in the morning or makeup that we put on and take off. It's the authentic person of who we are, that we are delight to be around God. Forgive us, Lord, as we allow the world to creep in and problems to surmount so high that we lose our delight. Ask the Lord to bring your delight back. make a decision today to say I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back